Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Marcus Thomas. And I'm Oz Arshad, and we are both writer-directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help you bridge the gap. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Not sure when you're listening. I hope you're okay. It seems like a lot of you have enjoyed the episode from last week. Lots of good feedback. And it's really strange. It seems like we've gone up a level with our numbers, which is great. It means that many more of you are listening, you're sharing, you're liking, and you're engaging with what we're doing. So that's all really amazing stuff. So thank you so much. So we've had a fun week, very busy. I've been doing a bit of teaching. I, I tend to do a bit of tutoring here and there at film schools and things. So that's been nice. Oz, I believe, is he's also been teaching at university, doing the old filmmaking thing. He's also been working on some, I think he's been doing commercials, and obviously editing his work. Last Saturday on the 7th of October, my short film screened at London Film Festival in BFI South Bank on NFT1. Very, very cool. Packed the place out, and I successfully confused everyone. So that was, that was good. Uh, so it's my new sci-fi short film called Space Plug, made in partnership with Disney and NFTS as part of the Star Imagine UK Shorts Incubator program. And people don't know what to make of it, but they enjoy it, which is 100% the intention. It's about a baby that grows up in a blank white room in the middle of space. It's a weird premise, but it's an even weirder film, and it gets very strange very quickly. So, so yeah, if you follow socials, you'll 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 find out more information on that when we're going to be screening at other places. We've got some big festival targets, so fingers crossed we can drop some more information about that in the future. Also, there's been some amazing films screened at LFF. I watched Horde this week, which is very strong. Also watched Poor Things yesterday and got a free pastel donata which made the experience even better. It's an exceptional film. I've heard no bad reviews about it, and I would echo those sentiments. I thought it was brilliant, genuinely brilliant. So when you get the opportunity, do go and see that. Hopefully they listen to this and give us some paper motion. Who knows? Anyway, let's crack on with this. This is the second part of our talk of Ian Seller. Within this, there's lots more crafty stuff, and it's all sort of quite philosophical around what film and film is which is really important. It's almost like a film lesson, but also within it, we've, there's lots of practical exercises which we, we talk through, which anyone can do. You just need people that are willing to do it. And there is a function to all of it, which we kind of get into. So this is honestly golden knowledge. Like this is the knowledge you have to pay £14,000 a year for. And it's only a taster, but it hopefully will then just empower you guys to go on and make stuff and learn stuff and push yourselves creatively and and think about films in a different way, which is only going to help the whole industry because people are more empowered and more technically able to execute the stories which they have in their heads. So, so yeah, let's crack on. Enjoy. You know, even for not for non-writer directors and directors who just write with the, who direct to the people the writer's material. I think it's so important. It's absolutely critical that you have a good understanding of character and story generally, because if you don't, then how the fuck are you going to interpret what is going on on the page and that controlling of information and through your prep, like like translating that controlling of information in terms of how you're placing the camera and everything like that? 
you have to be you have to be intrinsically linked to what is going on and that's why you have to sit with writers make sure that you're that you that what you've interpreted aligns with the writer's intention and i'm just wondering is do you is there any practical advice for how someone can can maybe do that you know in the prep you know like lining out your beats making sure that you understand it because many of our many people in our audience are tv directors and want to be tv directors they're not going to be directing their own stuff straight away so I'm just wondering if there are any... Um, I know we're going to go into breakdown in some some stuff later on, but I'm just wondering right now if there's any practical advice you've got on understanding that. I find you can look a bit daft doing this, but if in reading the script, you, you sort of read the scenes a few times, so then if you kind of walk around the room being a character each time, so you can physically have to go through what it feels like, you know, when you see this other person saying this to you, how, how does that actually feel for you? So you kind of... And if you physicalize that a bit and pull the curtain so people can't be watching, uh, it can it can get you uh, into their sort of psychological space. Mm. I don't know if that. That's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have to be linked to that to translate it on screen. Yeah, you can't be can't be standing back judging. I think is the problem. You know, if you if you're standing back with your arms crossed, thinking who is this idiot, you you can't really direct that. You know. Well, perhaps you can, but you know, uh, but, but 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 that's an easy space to be. You know, you need to put yourself in a slightly more difficult space. Yeah, what does it feel like to be this idiot at this moment? You, you know, what? Why are they being such an idiot? And so on and so forth. Yeah. You know? So if you don't do that, yeah. then the actors are going to come onto set, and individually, they're all doing that work for their own bit, and then you're going to go there without some sense of where they're coming from, and you're either going to yeah. Leave- come across like an idiot or you're going to end up pissing each other off. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I said, you need to know it more than, more than the actors. Not, not that then the actors do what you want, but then if the actors present you with something, you can say, oh yeah, that would work well. Or yeah, that's good. That's not quite what they do there. So it, it, the, the amount of prep you need to do, and that can be very limited on TV shows, I know. So there's a reality there. So the amount of prep you can do is it makes well the more you can do the more efficient you are on set basically you know the 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 smarter you can be on set the sort of cleaner you can be on set it is it, it's all about what you do ahead of the shoot you, yeah you, and yeah it's it's not about storyboarding and stuff which is a separate thing it's just about knowing what the heart of stuff is so you can actually you've the confidence like this is what i want to do in the next hour yeah this is where i'll put my my energies sorry months no no that's that's it it's like yeah you, you you if you've done that work on like perspective wise then you can speak to everyone in that way who is also running at that level otherwise as a director as you're saying you're going to be doing it from a distance and then that's going to come down to vanity and aesthetics and all the superficial stuff on top, which doesn't mean anything to actors. No, absolutely. Also, it leaves you open to every suggestion in the book. You know, like <laughs> the DP yeah. says, oh, why don't we put the camera on the ceiling for this one or whatever, you know, which could be brilliant, but might not be. As uh, mm. And you get people throwing ideas at you and or presenting stuff, whatever you want, whatever you call it. You need to be able to kind of sift through that usefully, you know. The... the as I as you say, Mark, it's not, it's not about ego. That it's not about 
I like this, therefore I'll get it. It's about this is what the story needs, you know. So it's never about me. It's about the, it's about the script, you know. This kind of links into perspective, which is something I did instinctually before I got to the film school. But when I got to the film school, we learned about perspective, and it was like, ah, oh, that's what this is. And it then means you can be more refined about it. And so, um, yeah, we've talked about it a lot previously on one of the episodes we did called What is Directing? Um, but I'm keen to hear about your perspective on perspective in storytelling. Well, um, <laughs> actually, I did. I, <laughs> thank you for that good question. Um, that's a very interesting question there, Marcus. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, actually, I do. Have, I, I say I don't have any laws and films can be anything, blah, blah, blah. I suppose I do believe that the starting point for looking at a scene has to be whose scene is this. And there's a, you're only allowed one person because everyone in a scene is living in a different world that looks different, feels different, and so on, you know. And you can't really jump between these worlds. You need to create one world. So, But I, I know there are huge exceptions to this, but in a way, the, but, but the law is there's only one character, you know, there's only one main character in a scene. And people get really scared that, well, what happens about all these other interesting people? But in fact, they still exist. They can still have complete journeys and so on. But it's just where where you stand. It, or the other way of looking at it is like, where is the writer standing in the room? You know, what, who are they actually interested in here? Is it this, this? So I do a lot going through scenes, just trying to work out who's, who's, who's seen as this. Because uh, once once you've done that, then you've suddenly got a perspective. Yeah. yeah. And you kind of know... Then the other cheap question is, in 10 years' time, what, what moment in this scene will they remember most? You know, will it be this moment or this moment or this moment? And there's always one that they'll remember more than others. So in a way, that, that begins to create a shape for a scene, you know? Yeah. So these are these are quite crude laws, but so I suppose I forgot what your question is now, of course. But so Your perspective on perspective. Do, do you think, Ian, that, that, that there is always one perspective and... Just, I'm just going to ask this question, and I don't know if there's a right answer for it, but in a scene where it's an ensemble scene, is it always going to be leaning towards one person's perspective and everybody else in that is, they might they, they might have a perspective on what's going on in the scene, and obviously you have to capture it if you're doing an ensemble scene, but that's more to, for them to get to gather information that they can use in scenes that they're going to lead later on, so you need to capture that. So is there always one perspective in a scene, what about in an ensemble I'd say definitely yes. And then every, everyone can think out the million exceptions in a way. But it's like, it's more how to get your head into, if if you accept there's only one point of view in the scene, there's, there's only one perspective, it, it forces you to engage with what you've got available. You, you can then use the design, et cetera, to reflect this person's psychology. You, you know, you can... You can get the music to reflect this person's psychology and so on and so forth, you know. So if you can grasp that hold enough, you begin. it begins to reveal what cinema can do for you. If you never get to that point, you, you can still be saying, well, this scene's about this group of people, these things happening, blah, blah, blah. It's about the meaning of life, this, that, and that, you know, is it, which obviously every scene is. It, it, it forces you into a position where you can cleanly grab the scene. And of course, without doing damage to other characters necessarily, and so on and so forth. So it, it's how to get to that so clean point. 
in a way because you can tell if well you kind of know well i know what it feels like anyway you go on to a set to direct something and you don't quite know what it is and it's terrifying because you can put the camera in a thousand different places yeah and it's sort of it's it's sort of isn't that is not useful you know it is like you should know already where you perhaps you should be to see a certain moment you know and that you can do in prep but part of that prep is is deciding well who's the main character yeah of course scenes can shift between characters scenes can be about groups but it's getting your head into that first space kind of creates a kind of liberation i, I believe yeah yeah and these these are the conversations which all happened when we was in the edit on house of the dragon whenever they got stuck or they needed to figure something out it all came back to whose scene is it whose story is this like always oh that's interesting yeah, oh, cool yeah. uh, actually i don't tell many stories about other people but lynn ramsey there's this story i tell about lynn ramsey because she was at the film school i was a tutor mm. there at the time she was shooting on the main stage and uh i was walking around the back of the stage so i could just hear them rather than see it uh and she was cinematographer you know, on this and she's saying i don't understand it i can't shoot it she kept saying this you know there's a whole crew standing <laughs> clearly there loudly saying, if you heard it from outside <laughs> yeah that, well it wasn't that loudly but she was just being quite in fact she genuinely didn't know how to shoot the scene because she genuinely didn't understand the scene so therefore mm don't shoot anything till you understand it you know otherwise you end up shooting a thousand shots and that to cut of coverage that mean nothing and the camera's always in the wrong place anyway so no that was very impressive you know because um it's it's not easy to hold a a whole setup just because you don't understand something yeah you know? especially in a crew role i guess yeah, ab ab absolutely you know yeah. so so that, I thought that, that was that story yeah. you told you told us that story six seven years ago and I remember it. Oh, did you? Yeah, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't just you. I think there was. I think whoever was the cinematographer to, then told told it us as well. And it and I always remembered it because of that. It's like, well, why? What, what am I shooting? Where am I putting it? Where do I start? No, it's it's but it's such a horrible feeling that if you're on set and you actually don't know where to begin, or, or you just follow some somebody's lead who doesn't quite know the script or doesn't quite know what's needed. And you end up in some weird corner trying to do stuff, you know. It would be good to talk about some exercises because I think with um, the foundation workshop we did when we got onto the NFTS course, I think one of the things you did, which is very, very simple, and a lot of people sort of like resist this whole thing when they say about you should just shoot something on your iPhone with two friends. Like that's exactly what we did in this foundation workshop, right? Was that you set us a task of like one person shooting, two people within a shot it has to be a single frame and then one person starts in the shot another person enters there's an emotional change and one of them leaves and then that's it yeah and that is all about trying to hone in on perspective and emotional changes and that's something anyone can do because we we were just like people that didn't know each other um and just forced to do it not forced uh, <laughs> but, uh, there's there's a good lesson in that for people i think so i'm intrigued to know where that exercise came from and, and why you think that was important actually there's an exercise before that that i often do which is just is about the image so i think it is about I don't know, the relationship between the image and action or whatever you know but the exercise for is just to take a, a photograph a still photograph a still of a person in a space you know mm. so and then it's about 
talking about so the person takes the photograph the other people talk about the photograph you can't mm -hmm. say anything if you take the picture yourself yeah and and they just people say what they see you know what i mean so what's the relationship of this person to the space that's around them you know are, are they strangers there are they and so on and so forth is this domestic is it all that and then stuff like what if what if we you frame much tighter to the side of their head what difference does that make you know mm. what happens if you take this white line out that's the door frame or something what difference does that make so it's, it's tuning in people into reading exactly what an image is communicating and what in an image is is saying that so it's is it really dead simple and people are disturbed at how simple it is in a way but it's just taking a picture of somebody in a space and then other people talking about it but it it gets people to begin to talk about image and that easily gets lost perversely as you as you make films you know you can end up just doing the chat it's it's, it's just tuning that in and then the, the exercise you talk about is it's a static camera again so it's about having a frame that you're using yeah you're being forced to use this frame uh and it's yeah one person in the space so it's a person in the space what's that about what's making us feel the way we feel about this person then somebody else comes in to the space they nobody says anything after a while one of them goes so you get this sort of changing dynamic it's a bit like three-act structure as well in a way you, you know not that i talk about three-act structures so it's it's that sort of thing it's more just how can you use the frame to tell us about these people i don't know is, is that what what did you get from it marcus if anything yeah yeah yeah. i mean there was also no dialogue so yeah you're you're thinking in terms of action is how to create a narrative and it was all just about precision really that's what it felt like it was just more about interrogating character perspective and story like because where, where you're placing that camera you have to be very very specific about it and also where you're placing the person that's in the frame in the beginning because that is inherently going to be the person actually it might not even be that um because they might have the, the they might have their back to camera but like you need to pick someone to follow so it's like you're having to stage this shot and really think about what you're doing and be very precise about it in order to communicate exactly what you're trying to communicate i think i remember my one was like i put it to the floor and had it tilted up at the ceiling so it looked like we were like a, a mortuary and i had two people like one person like looking down horrified at the camera and then someone walked in and they kind of didn't care and just told them to cover it up and then <laughs> and walked away but even within that it's quite simple and having two people that are very different in emotional states it immediately tells you everything you need to know about where you are what the room is what could be the relationship between these two people and I think also what was helpful about it is that these shots ended up being about like between one and two minutes long, like all of them. And every single one of them was interesting to watch, yeah. even though there was no dialogue and nothing was really happening, like in some instances. So it, it gives you like a confidence for when you're making films to be like, you can make one shot very interesting. It's just how you pull the elements together. And also sometimes just having confidence in the elements being enough. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's uh, the, the the next stage of that exercise is like what well, the question is who's the main character in that first one, mm. but then next one is okay, do it again, but this time the other character is the main character, mm. you know. So what way, what what changes for that, you know? So it, it forces a sense of point of view 
It's a very good exercise um, and one which everyone can do. Everyone has the access to be able to do that sort of thing. I'm pretty sure it's, it's yeah. just getting out and doing it. You need three friends, also, but you need the important thing in the exercise is, is what people are seeing on the screen. See what I mean? So what other people are seeing on the screen? Because you might know it's X, Y, or Z, but what are the audience reading about this character, who they are, blah, blah, blah. So you need to get a bit of a, gr a group of people, to, a reasonable sized group of people to do it. Mm. So you can be have different views of what people are understanding from the screen. Because mm. uh, I, I, the, the the person who did the shot isn't allowed to talk about it. They have to listen, and then say mm. what they intended. Which is also a good skill. Is hearing people <laughs> talk about your work. Yeah. Well, well, no, exactly. So you get used to that a bit as well. Yeah, it's fact they're always so different and inventive. You know what I mean? And people come up with such clever stuff. It, it, it's kind of fun. Also, people are acting. Then not the directors are also having to do a bit of acting, mm. which is. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. I think there was another one about we had to pick like a word each or something. Is that right? And it was similar. I don't think there was a camera involved in this one. And then we kind of like did a scene and we could only say the word once throughout the scene. So we had to like pick our moment, but still create a narrative. Is that right? Well, that's fun. That sounds really fun. I don't think that was, that was obviously some, some other. Oh, it might have been actually. It might, it might yeah, have been yeah. one of the theater, uh, the theatre per uh, person, and it was like That's I think the word was like coffee or something like that. Oh yeah, actually no, that could have been me. Sorry, it's all a blur. The coffee's, yeah, yeah, that was uh, the scenario. Is is it's like an improvisation thing. The scenario is last night there was a party. These are the people left behind after a party, That's and I one. give everyone yeah. a word of dialogue, and they just got to say their dialogue in order but mm. it was is uh yeah yeah i've forgotten about that but is it, but so you get this room full of chaos basically but then one could make the point is well this is chaos isn't it and uh blame the writer which is me uh but then you can say well what if it's this person's story what's their experience of the room so you can get it into point of view again who are mm. they looking at who are they talking to you know what what what's yeah all that sort of stuff but i think yeah. the fact you have like one word opens your brain up as well it's like it's never about the dialogue it's just about the placement the intention and all of these sorts of things um and how you still characters still informed and read by everyone yeah i agree it's isn't is it, i i do like there's another law that it's never about the dialogue you know mm. what i mean the words themselves aren't what's important even with very direct dialogue, it's like, well, what's really going on? You know, mm. that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's fun that because it, it's very easy to get distracted in dialogue scenes to be, start thinking it's about what the chat is. Yeah. Whereas in fact, beneath the chat, there's this other thing going. People are doing stuff to each other in whatever way. Yeah. Exactly it's that. Is, is that like if someone in a scene tells another person that they're really sad today? in overt terms it's like it could be that what are they trying to get out of that other person rather than it's not because that's a weird thing to say is like to come out of it as blatant as that it's like what are they trying to gain from the relationship What's yeah the yeah absolutely there? i never yeah. trust anyone who tells me they're sad today <laughs> <I think>. yeah <laughs> what, what do you want from me yeah. <laughs> exactly that 
I think Louis. I think Louis Arnold did a similar thing to us. I don't know if it was from you or inspired by you. Where the very first exercise he made us do was we had to take three images. We had to go away in groups of three or two, and then we had to be like, "You've only got three shots to tell this narrative, whatever you think it is," and then we're going to put them together in the computer and then basically interpret them. And oh it was, yeah. And it was really, it was really interesting because it's like. It meant that we had to kind of distill whatever big ideas that we had in our head to just three images, and it's like, what's the simplicity of it? You know, what else is it? Where is the camera? Where you know, what are you what are you trying to say? And it was a really interesting, interesting situation. Well, that um, sounds good. Did, did you actually shoot the images yourselves, or were they ones? Yeah, we just went out with our iPhones or whatever we had, and and but, we just shot it with that. And the, were they like static images, or were they? Yeah, just static go? images, just stills. Oh, that's brilliant. That sounds really good. Eh? Yeah, what was really good was, I mean, I, I, I did, I did some, I did some, um, I did a workshop uh, end of last year on a continuing drama, and their schedules are so so tight and they're so quick. One of the things that they talk about, one of the directors that was leading the workshop, they were saying you have to sometimes just get the story, and what the schedule forces you to do is to think in terms of, well, visually, how am I going to get this scene across in half an hour? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it and it kind of when I when I heard that it kind of it kind of um, prodded on that memory of us doing that exercise was about cool. distilling the story into a small set of visual images. It's great that I, th this thing of being forced into a kind of simplicity. It's I think it's really valuable, but because it's like that's where the gold lies eventually, as it were. It, you know, it's just such a clean idea. You know, or the, you can create a journey around and things. Yeah. So I think anything that can get one there, that's not a really good exercise. Yeah. If you've got only you've got you know, half an hour to shoot a scene, yeah, that kind of concentrates the mind no end. I imagine, you know, and often you get that situation. You know what I mean? You, you've, you've worked out you're going to do 20 shots for a scene and, you know, there's something or other doesn't turn up and you've only got half an hour. I imagine everyone's been there in one way or other. And and it's, of course, that feels a nightmare at the time. But often it does force a kind of invention that, that actually it's rather good you got there, you know. Uh, I'm not saying disasters are good, but uh, if you're forced to rethink and forced to work out what you really, really need here. Which, come, which, which does come down to what we were talking about earlier on, about what you were saying about being in, you know, in your prep, like being in the seat of the character so that you know what's going on, so that when it is time to pivot because of something that's thrown at you on the floor, on set, when when, when something goes wrong, well, you can pivot because you understand the story and it's in your bones. Yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. And you know the heart of it. You know the heart of the scene. You know, if you can pull away all the stuff in a scene until you find out just where the beating heart is, uh, that's the bit you need to deliver. You know, so... and. Um, and again, that sounds really crude, but it is, it's in fact creates the opposite world. It creates a world that you can then sort of play in a bit, you know, as opposed to trying to sort of give everything emphasis. You know, a common mistake is for people starting is that, that every moment in the scene is incredibly important, therefore has to be a close-up and so on. So you get, so you, you just get these lots of important moments, but no shape at all, you know, whereas if you can just pick your one moment, you can then sort of, loosen off a bit on the other bits you know so and, and it creates a sense of shape yeah but but you do that by if you know what the heart is you know just 
where you have to put your money if you're half an hour. I think you, yeah. I think, I think it, it, it was you that taught us about distilling each scene to one sentence, so that oh, yeah. if if some if so that you've got that, and like you said, so that you can hook everything off it when when when, when you know push comes to shove. Yeah, it could have been me because I, I I kind of force people's hand into that a bit. Is like so the 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 thing is, it becomes this is the scene where, and you get the main character's name. Uh, and then you put what the emotional shift is they they in. So it's it is you just find a one emotional word that that describes their transition in the scene. Hmm. Like everyone's well, if the writing is any good, every character is different at the end of the scene from the beginning. You know, so that's why the scene's there. So what what is that? So how are they the, the front of the scene? How are they at the end? And where does it shift? You know. Um, yeah i think that's yeah. right is is it's like sometimes it's not even necessarily clear clear but it's through interrogating it in a very precise way that's when it reveals itself what that emotional point in the scene can be yeah yeah and it, it's honestly it's really hard work finding that you know i've been going through a feature script at the moment and we're doing about i don't know six pages a day mm. you know, that's six minutes of screen time a, a day that's how just you're interrogating going, it, yeah. Yeah, just what, what the fuck is this scene? How's it? Can, can it be strong? Can it be pushed stronger? What if, 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 if the office is over here instead of here? So it's just keep pushing. How to, to tell it better, you know, and what it is and how to tell it better. But it's it's real work, you know. Poof. Yeah, that's craft. That, that that's craft, though, isn't it? That's the craft of it. You, yeah. You, you know, when you when you're doing that, that is you know that is the work when you're going through it and really. I enjoy that stuff. Yeah, that's great. No, I think that's where you, that's where directors have to do their work in a way. Because, and then, honestly, it does free you up on set because you kind of know what your job is. You, oh, I've got to deliver this in the next however much time sort of thing. And but and that certainty allows you to have conversations with people that aren't about ego and whatever, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so I think the more you can do, the better. And again, you know, realistically, on many TV shows, you wouldn't get that time. You know, you're getting the scripts mm. in late, they're changing the day before and all that sort of thing. So it is a kind of luxury, but any moment of that luxury that you can grab, the better. But if you know this stuff, then it's like you can work on the fly because it's, as long as you know, as long as you know whose scene it is in the story yeah. and where that emotional hinge point is, where like the perspectives collide, then you can kind of do any scene on the fly because you just work out from that point and that's how you will have every single conversation with every actor with your dp obviously time is a whole thing but like there might be like we've got two shots this is what we need to get and then this is how we're going to go but you just have to be clear on that above all else yeah and you have to yeah is uh, i agree completely and you have to give yourself time to do it it's it's yeah. like uh, it really is hard work getting there you read a scene and think, is it this or is it this? You know, and it can go on for hours trying to work out what is there. And then you have to revisit it again. Is it really this or all that sort of thing? Because yeah. there's times when we've done the exercise before where you, you literally go through the whole script, like word by word, like in a very, very granular way. And when you're asking about like, what is the scene about in one sentence? And it's like, this is the scene where 
Mia tells this character they hate them. And it's like, is that enough? And that's what the whole scene has to be distilled down into. But if it's like Mia tells this person they hate them, but they're also a little bit happy because this person is like, there's too many things going on at once. And then when you're there on set or even in the edit, if you shoot it, regardless of not distilling that down, you'll quickly see, you'll have to distill it all down after the fact um, in that exact same way. Because I've, I've done it myself in some of my films when there's been a scene which is like, it's this and it's a little bit about this and this isn't quite working, but we have to shoot it. And then you do it and you're like, ah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's really interesting. It's funny, it's very easy to lose that in a cut as well because you can end up with a cut that doesn't quite connect with a point of view. You know, see the scene. Well, why isn't that working? You know, and it is. It can happen quite mysteriously. Suddenly, there's some shift in the edit, and and you kind of lose that focus. But when I'm looking at cuts, that is almost the first thing I look at. Is like, well, is it going wrong because it's lost point of view? You know, what's point? Who's whose scene is this? Whose scene is it? That that sort of question. And again, you can do that with. It can happen to the best of us, as it were. You know. Yeah, I see quite a few cuts of films, and it's surprising, you know, from so I was on one level to to, to a big budgety stuff on the other, and and it's it's really interesting how how common it is just a loose point of view, mm. you know, and the scene doesn't quite run, you know, for some reason. Yeah, it, it's always the same conversations you have with filmmakers, whatever stage they're at, mm. you know, it is always well, what the fuck is this in front of us in a nice way, you yeah. Know? What? But no, you, you say that. What the fuck is this? <laughs> That's usually what what comes out of your mouth, or well, question marks on your script and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that's just the process. Um, yeah, it's just it's just trying is is literally about just trying to understand what's in front of you. You know, mm. it's kind of where the conversation started. Is like, yeah, it's a bit when you see a performance or when you is or even look at a set. Just what is this in front of us? you know yeah it's it saying the other thing you do is is called opening reels if you could talk us where that came from and and why you do it because yeah it's it's a great one it's again this is one of those things which people can do at home with a friend and just it's very oh yeah 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 i actually did this in the pandemic i i started doing it because i just couldn't do anything and i was like right i'm gonna go and do these opening reel things Mm. because you did it with us in the class so yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, well, what you do, you look at, it's normally the first 10 minutes of a film, and that can be useful because it, it's, it's how much story can you get in 10 minutes or mm. how much setup, which is always less than you think. So look at the first step, run the first 10 minutes, and then go back to the start again and then start and stop. And, well, it's always the first thing I start on is a black screen because most yeah. movies start with a black screen and then something, then you get a sound most commonly and so on. So it's like you start at black screen. What's this sound? What's the feel of this sound? What's the movie going to be like? Or, or what's the lettering that they're using? What kind of movie is this going to be? You know, all that stuff at the front. Mm. Uh, what's the music cue? Is the music cue telling us the kind of movie we're about to see, and so on? And and then what's the first image? Yeah, it, well, why is it framed like that? Why is it? Why is that wire in the background? You know, mm. why? Why is the designer put that lamp there? Why and so on? So yeah. it's just questioning every frame, in a way, 
and it who are every these... single cut as well isn't it like every cut yeah. yeah it's quite fun to do it's difficult to do for more than an hour or something because it does your head in you know uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth doing because i think you have to assume that filmmakers are just like you they're dealing with the exact same problem oh, that's what it's based on it's like all filmmakers are dealing with the same problems of how to tell the story all fame filmmakers are as bright or as thick as you are as it were so that it's everyone's got the same issues mm. uh and it's just working out see what they have done in this situation yeah or what you think they've done because obviously you're not talking to them but often if you talk to them you get a slightly different story from what they actually did i know you know, often if you speak to or read books by filmmakers it's obviously slightly different from what they actually do so it's quite useful just seeing what they actually do and it's fun and just culturally it's fun what differences you get or don't get you know but it's usually very precise isn't it it always like when you break it down in that way it is amazing how precise it is in the way it leads you towards the intention of of what you're supposed to be getting from it like everything kind yeah. of moves in the same direction like the current of the film is kind of like leading to the same place yeah but it's like they're little decisions it's not like i'm going to make a great movie mm. it's like well what do we need at this moment what do we need at this moment so it, it's sort of it's quite simple what the filmmaker's doing it's not it's not mysterious as you know it's just oh they're using this bit of music at this point the music's got using these instruments for some reason etc etc mm. so it's yeah, I like it because it, it demystifies it in a way. Like we could all do that, you know, yeah. with those resources and blah, 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 you know. Yeah. I remember Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin was a good one because obviously tonally it's it's quite strong and there's some striking oh, yeah. in it. But it doesn't make the most amount of sense when you're watching it. But when you really sort of break it down like that, you kind of stop experiencing it and start analysing it. It all kind of makes sense very quickly yeah. like what's going on it's really strange that's cool. yeah that's cool i'd forgotten about it I'd, I'd, I'd done that that one that yeah that's fun fascinating point i was going to make there but but yeah yeah that was such a fun movie so like i said like because we because we did that with you back then i did it in the pandemic for a little bit because i was like i just felt so stagnant with no work and not doing anything and being stuck and i was like well what's in my control is learning so i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and yeah it was it was great really enjoyed doing it i should maybe actually go back to doing it and this is the thing isn't it is is, is with all this stuff you, it doesn't matter what level you get at you can keep going and keep doing it because mm. you're going to learn something from every movie yeah absolutely it, but again it's easier to do with other people you know because you end up watching the movie very very <laughs> yeah yeah i suppose if you drop in on something on tv uh like last night i dropped in there was they're showing godfather or something or something mm. and, and like for a a while I could see what they were doing, you know, but after that, you just, I just got into the story. I tell you what I was going to say before is, it was like, it's the difference between being a filmmaker and, a, and an audience is really, is really important, you know? So it's like, as an audience, you're feeling this really complex experience, you, you know, there's many led and it's about the meaning of life and God knows what else. But as a filmmaker, you, that you're a different person, you know, you, you can't, be an audience making a film you've mm. like all these movie, movies if you analyze them they're, they're, they're just a series of decisions it, they're not conjuring up amazingness they're they're actually leading you very clearly along this sort of path you know 
and yeah. and the effect of that is this amazingness you know but it's important not to be the audience is because then you're just trying to create uh, an effect of something whereas mm. the effect is coming from a series of quite quite clear decisions does that make sense as a, a point it's, it's it's interesting that you choose to kind of show the starts of films rather than the middle or the end because it's when the audience are the most malleable right is that you have to really sort of like set up what you're trying to do early enough so that they can accept everything else and get either understand where they're going or at least feel safe enough that they're going to allow the current to take them to wherever you're going to take them yeah yeah i agree it it's it's such a it's such an important bit it's giving them the confidence as well mm. of like um you can kind of cheat the kind of confidence by by making quite big statements you know, or mm. by having all the color nicely matched, you know, you think, oh, people, these people know what they're doing. All the pictures look nice or whatever, you know. Yeah, mm. I agree. It's such an important moment. Yeah, and it's such, it's difficult, it's really difficult to bring you all these characters that the audience have to get to know and blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. Starts of films are tough, as are short films. I think short films are the toughest thing to make. They really are. <laughs> yeah, it's just not fair. It's totally unreasonable. And also, not only is they're very difficult, but you don't have long to shoot them because, like, if you're shooting a feature or something, you've got time to run the crew into doing it, mm. you know, and run yourself into doing it. So sometimes you can throw away the first few days shoot, you know. Yeah. Whereas obviously that's the whole of a short film, you know. Mm. So it's really tough, both as a storytelling sense and just getting every yourself and everyone else up to speed. So totally unreasonable. People's first films should be three hours long and they should end up making <laughs> 10 minute films. <laughs> yeah. We've gone the wrong way. Yeah. We've gone wrong, got it all wrong. Yeah. And I think it would be good to know where do you think the balance is between getting it right on the page and exploring it throughout the rest of the process? Like, is there a point where you're like, well, that's the limit of the medium of words on a page? We have to take it elsewhere. I suppose I think you need, because you're basing what you do on the script in one way or other, I think you have to get the script right. It could be the film shifts, what does shift after that in lots of ways. But I'd be wary of shooting something before you knew what it was. But at the same time, I'd be wary of tying everything down totally. But that's more on performance and things like that But but before shooting obviously you can destroy something by over controlling it mm. but i think you need to get the script somewhere yeah i think you have to get the script there so i saw a straightforward answer get the script right i know people do it otherwise and you know that can work very well as well but in a way i don't quite know how to talk about that in the same way you need to get somebody who does that to talk about it the, the other aspects yeah. of production you mean yeah, no, the, the sort of, can you make, can you walk onto set not, not knowing what the fuck you're doing, you know, because there are filmmakers who are sort of brave enough to, be able to do that, you know what I mean? Let's get these two actors and see what happens, you know. Uh, I'd be terrified to do that. At the same time, I know that one can over-control the process. So, like, mm. as directors, you're stuck in this impossible world of, on one level, trying to control the process and know what it is and the other not trying to crush it in the process mm. you know it's easy to crush the butterfly as it were so is that, that's a conundrum i like that conundrum because you you can't solve it as a director 
there's an element of having to throw yourself into the chaos, isn't there? Yeah. And finding your way out of it. Oh yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I, I always think that, I think chaos is a useful word in a way, because in a way I, th I think, well, I, I think I'm personally finding chaos all the time on some level, you know what I mean? So I think it's an important part of the process, you know, for, for directors. And yeah, directors are trying to control things, aren't they? Always. They want to have a version of the world that works for them, I suppose. You know, yeah. the bastards. Yeah. Uh, so That's where it comes from, isn't it? It's like point of view. That's where someone's voice lives, is within the, the creator's point of view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I agree, that's all about chaos. That's about a relation. That's about some sort of control of chaos, you know. So, which I suppose we embrace as well on some level, if it, even even if it's in reverse, yeah, yeah. What can you do? Just cry a bit. Um. Ian, what do you think tone is? Tone. Yes. God, these difficult questions. What is? We tone? did a, we did a whole episode. Me and Marcus trying to like demystify tone, and we kind of like did it quite open where we we didn't have an answer. We just discussed our way through it. But it'd be interesting <laughs> to get someone like yourself to see if you can <laughs> just tell us what it is, even though we've done a full episode on it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. If, yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from because it is quite difficult to define, isn't it? Uh, it's like the feel of something. So I suppose for me, that's there's a physical aspect to that. It, what's the sensation of a film? Mm. You know, it's like so as an audience, you're sitting there and you're getting this sort of physical stuff in effect. So I think it's, for me, it's about the, 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 the physical effects of these different elements. Uh, but that doesn't really answer your question, I'm sure. When you say physical, do you mean as in like everything sort of like propped up and it's done and the set's there, the actors are there and that? Do you mean physical in that sense? Um, I, as an audience, you sit in the cinema if, right. if you, and you get, you get accosted by these images and sounds and things. It, it's a sensual experience. You know, so in a way, that's that's a physical thing. So if that joins up, hopefully it does. Um, so it's like, what physical effect is this? Is, is this film making on people, or, or what do you mm. want them to do? You know, is it is it a kind of so or sensation? I can't. Yeah, again, I could wander on here for a bit and not get anywhere. Yeah, it's all about the woods. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's 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 a good it's a good thing to worry about because in a way that is kind of what you're dealing with is like the feel of these movies or the, I forgot what your word is now, you know, is it tone? Yeah. Yeah. Tone. And it's never quite satisfying enough saying, Oh, it's the same as that other movie. Cause normally you say it's the same as that other movie, but a bit different, you know, and, mm. and so on. Yeah. Doesn't mean anything. <laughs> well, it's, it's tough because you one's endlessly being asked these questions, you know, if you're sending in an application for whatever, to get some money, you once you're having to write these statements saying this is the movie's going to be this, this, and this, and you're referring mm -hmm. to other movies or the feel of it. I always find that I think everyone finds that a tough one because then obviously it's you don't quite know yet till you've yeah. made the bastard thing, you know. So yeah, that's yeah. like jumping ahead, isn't it? But so it's a treatment. So the whole process is a bit like that. It's quite I think in those circumstances, all you you can you can communicate your enthusiasm. You know, for like, I really want to make this film because it's so amazing because it's got this stuff. I think that works as good as any, that works as well as anything else in a way. I say that obviously being refused money many times. <laughs> I think every single one of our listeners is is in that same boat, um, especially <laughs> with the recent 
BFI emails going out telling people no. So I think everyone's feeling very sensitive towards that. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah. Was, you, you were going to say something. Uh, it, it was just that. I mean, you said, Ian, that um, until you've made the bastard thing, I mean, obviously it's all theory until you actually get on set, isn't it? And, yeah, and yeah. You look at it, and you look at it and think, actually, yeah, I was right on the tone. Uh, obviously, it's, I guess, tone is definitely filed under, quite high up filed under the director's job and the director's vision. But until you're actually on set, you're not fully going to know. Yeah, yeah. But it's your, I suppose it's about your taste as well. It's about so, so tones coming from your good or bad taste, you know. So it's like, well, what colours do you like on walls sort of thing? Is, 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 is that so? But I suppose you can explore that a bit. But it could be whatever you do as a director, your taste is going to be all through the whole movie, even if it's somebody else's writing and so on and so forth. It, is, it could be like on... Uh, on TV series, that doesn't quite happen in that way. But but there's the, your taste is everywhere. Hmm. So I suppose that's going to feel like the tone of the movie. So there might be a way of describing your own bad taste or something, you know. Hmm. Uh, actually, that's that's a really good point. I just wanted to just talk about that word taste. Do you think taste is something people can develop, or do you think that like, you've either got good taste or you don't? Because I sometimes, in the past, I've worked with people, and I'm just say how it is. They've got shit taste. They don't understand what it is that I or whoever else is trying to get to because they don't. They just don't have good taste, and it's like me and you do not align on our tastes at all. Oh wow! I love. Well, I cherish that person because, in a way, like, like somebody's individual taste, whether they think it's good or bad, it, is what's interesting about them. You mm. know what I mean? If you all have identical tastes, is like that's going to be so boring. So, in a way, actually, I do say bad taste. In a way, you have to celebrate your bad taste. Mm. You know, or whatever your taste is, in fact. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if it's counter to you know whatever beige walls are popular at the moment, you know. So I think the only thing to do with taste is celebrate it because that's the sort of thing that gets squashed, you know, and taste has got to do with, you know, upbringing, cultural stuff, everything, you know. So it's really important you hang in on it because that's what's making you different, I think, uh, unless you're trying to make an identical thing to somebody else, which which won't necessarily get you the job, you know what I mean? It's like what gets people a job tends to be more individual work, you know. Once they get the job, that, that might settle into whatever house style it is or whatever so i guess as a final question i'd be intrigued to know what you think a filmmaker's voice is just because i know that you've worked with a lot of different filmmakers with lots of different perspectives and backgrounds and things like that and some really unique filmmakers as well so i'd be intrigued to know what you think voice is and how to find it or lean into it well, I see. We we were talking about taste a few minutes ago. In a way, I think it's a uh, voice has got to do with people's taste in a funny way. Their bad taste, their whatever their taste is, mm. is is a, is kind of that's come out, out of what's made them. And the filmmakers, filmmakers I know, sort of successful ones in a way, just follow that through. Like this is what excites me, or this is what I want to talk about. You know, which might be popular or not popular. It's very difficult to fake it, hmm. and and I that, that seldom works. You know, so you really do have little choice but to follow your own bad taste. You know, but it's difficult because that can be out of fashion. So yeah. you're stuck for ten years doing whatever you know, your ukulele band thing, and uh, you know nobody's interested. But then everyone's interested. You know. Yeah, once you get known for the ukuleles, everyone's like jumps on the ukulele bandwagon. 
and then there's a bunch of other people trying to also do it that that's that's the scenario yeah but the, their day will come it's what's unique about these people you know what i mean and that might be successful or not successful you know it's not necessarily just because one's got a particular taste that's going to make you successful but you know i suppose there's there's the energy to fulfill it you know the the need to state it or then just the need to do stuff or discover i suppose it could be Mm. yeah perhaps it's about discovering new stuff as well but that's kind of your taste as well that's what's driving it Great. Did that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's good enough. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I think on, on that front, there's. I think I've spoke to you about him before, but I think Paul Wright, if anyone does have a voice, a, a unique voice, I think he's a filmmaker, which like does in probably the purest sense of that word. So yeah, I want to like tap you up and see if you can put us in touch with him at some point because I think he's incredible. He's good news. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I think it's incredible. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. I'll, 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 put, I'll put you in touch easily you know it's no big deal yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we definitely have to get him on this is a section called nugget of the week and it's just because me and Oz we're obsessed with learning so we consume a lot of media and content and stuff so we like to throw out to our guests to let everyone know what has inspired you this week wow that's a question isn't it because yeah. I'm a guest yeah 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 uh, a guest today actually I'm <laughs> I'm I'm in I'm in Edinburgh. I'm being at the the festival here. So um, uh, okay, yeah. So actually, um, I've had a lucky week. So this guy uh, Ahir Shah, the comedian Ahir Shah, he's he's just uh, he did an amazing show. It was really it, it was both really funny, mm. uh, but also like deeply personal. You know, and mm. he's talking. About his granddad. So, in fact, as well as laughing, I was crying as well, sort of thing. So it was, it was just mm. really, yeah. yeah. He's really good news. He's, he's pretty political, but he did, did this really personal sort of show. Mm. This is at the Edinburgh Fringe, I assume. It's the Edinburgh Fringe. So I suppose it's yeah. not like everyone is going to be able to go there. But I'm sure it's a precursor to a longer show or something, isn't it? Uh, it could be. I don't know. It's it's it's. It's quite a particular event, you know, because it is 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 both funny and so personal and things, you know. A lot about his 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 granddad who came over, you know, he was the first generation to to come over and work in this country and all that sort of thing. Uh it's just amazing. So it's about his granddad. And as I'm a granddad, obviously I think this is brilliant how people talk about granddads. So <laughs> finally some representation. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're gonna take over. Uh, how about you, Oz? Uh, mine is just a, a YouTube channel that's called, uh, it's a YouTube channel, I think it's at DVD Extras, is the, is the handle after the YouTube slash at DVD Extras, and it's just a website, uh, it's just a YouTube channel that someone has uploaded loads of um, Blu-ray extras and featurettes on there, from hard to find films and regular films as well, um, and there's about 627 of them on there. I learned a lot of my stuff from Blu-ray and DVD extras, so um, check it out. It doesn't have the films on there, so it's not it's not totally illegal, but uh, it's got the DVD extras. Amazing, love that. Oh, um, good. And and mine is um, I was on Instagram Reels wasting my life away, but then some quotes started coming up, and it was this one which kind of floored me a bit. And it says, "And if happiness should surprise you again, do not mention its previous betrayal." enter into the happiness and burst 
and it was by a dude called uh, Mahmoud Darwish. I was just like, well, that's incredible. So then I went and bought a book. He's a poet, basically. Um, it's a translation. Yeah, the book is called In the Presence of Absence by Mahmoud Darwish. And yeah, it's just profound shit. The whole thing is just incredible. Um, just lots of poems about life and absence and loss. And the language is just somewhere else. So I was like, each poem is you can read in like 10 minutes. So it's it's nice for little commutes and things and just opens your mind up a bit. That's yeah, cool. I'll check that out. Great. Um, so I think that's it. Yes, yeah. it is. Thank you so much, Ian. Honestly, that's it's. I think it's like great to to have this sort of conversation out there for everyone. It's not necessarily there's a point to it, but it's just, it's just like to have these conversations out in the open, so people can just think within this mode whilst directing. Because it's not just a cool thing to do. It's like you really have to interrogate it as an art form to to get the most out of it and to yeah. get the most out of what you're trying to say. So I think this has been really incredible. Yeah, no, it's, it's fun talking to other directors. Just it's fun talking to other directors full stop that's yeah thank you so that concludes the episode next week we'll be joined by another exciting guest i'm sure as ever so do follow socials to find out who we'll be having on and if anyone does happen to be listening get your questions in at the directors take at outlook.com and we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large and we'll do our best to tell you we want to shape this as a resource for you, so do get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram, which is the Directors Take Podcast, and also on Twitter, which is at Directors Take. And do just talk to us. Send us if you if you happen to do any of these exercises, let us know how you get on. Send us the little film stuff that you do off the back of it. We'd love to see it. And also leave us a review on whichever platform you get your podcast from. And I think that's it. So until next time, keep learning, keep failing, and keep the faith.